0: start your engine get them revving are you ready to play pull out shift it to a new gear and accelerate great and buckle up it's gonna be a wild ride don't say i didn't warn you welcome to the transformational series play by play on life this podcast series provides tips, tools, techniques, and insights on how to reduce stress and increase joy, fun, creativity, inspiration, and passion. I'm your host, Jim Holskinect. Brad, thank you so much for, for being on the show, and tell us a little bit about yourself. I was
1: born here in Virginia about 50 miles south of where I am right now. I haven't come very far in my life, and uh, that was 75 years ago. I was a clinical psychologist in Washington, D.C. for about 35 years, and I've written a nationwide bestseller called Radical Honesty, and it's published in 16 languages around the world now, and I have seven other books. And
0: First of all, I love your book. I've got the one of the, probably the, the original, the older uh, yeah. version. You can see it sort of marked out, just so you know I'm not, and I got it all marked up, and I I've, I love uh, it's it's so great. This first of all, it's just such a contribution. This this work. Brad's the the author of the uh, international best-selling book Radical Honesty. It is a kick butt book. If you have not read it, run don't walk down to the bookstore and get it and uh, check it out. Get it on Amazon. But it, it is really awesome and it's, it's dovetails so nicely with the conversations that. Um, we're having here on play-by-play on, play on life. And one of the things that, in fact, I, I could I actually just want to read this. This was just like, I got goosebumps when I read this because you, you quoted Nietzsche first, uh, a man's maturity consists in having found again the seriousness one had as a child at play. Ooh, I love that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then you went on to say, you know, serious play, that playing attention first and then thinking directed by attention, that utter dedication to being with whatever you are doing is as a way of being, we have known since the light first came on in the womb. Wow. So I just want to start there. Like, how do we get back to that? What, what would you recommend? Like, And how does lying and kind of, you know, this all this stuff that gets in the way, what, what gets in the way of that? How do we get back to that light that we first had when we, we came in?
1: Uh, oh, that's a great start. Actually, uh, my book, Radical Parenting, that's also just been translated into German, but basically... My book, Radical Parenting, is based on one fundamental premise, which is it's not what you have to teach those little children. It's what they have to teach you that you forgot. That basically you should just touch your baby's feet every day and say, Master, what should I do? (laughs) And that children should be your teachers, particularly the first three or four years of their life. You should be modeling your life after them rather than trying to model their life after you, because basically they remember and know and practice what you forgot about the quality of your attention being available and, and just putting it out there. You know, And so basically radical honesty is about being like a child, just say things.
0: Say a little bit about that, the, this moral conversation and how society maybe uh, bullies the play out of us.
1: Well, you, I think you need to distinguish between moral behavior or morality and moralism, which is a disease that think, of thinking that being right is the most important thing in the world. Moralism is disease thinking that being right and not being wrong is the most important consideration in life. It's not. Being right or being wrong are quite secondary to a whole lot of things. The quality of your attention is way more important than whether you're right or wrong. And so basically, the moralism is a disease of thinking that being right is the most important thing in the world. And of course, there are a lot of people that share that disease. That's one of the reasons the world is in such fine shape (laughs) and people all get along so well and there's no international conflict and no war (laughs) is because... Everyone is so good at using their mind and being right. So what we're after is not so much righteousness as connectedness, as being willing to be present to and open to and share honestly what you notice. When you share what you notice, just like a child, you are available for intimacy that you can't have unless you're willing to share what you notice. And so that's the point. Basically, what radical honesty is, is telling what you notice. And if you actually look at everything you can notice, it's easily divisible into three parts. What we call the awareness continuum can be divided into three parts. You can notice what's going on outside of you right now. You can notice what's going on inside your own skin right now. And you can notice what's going through your mind right now. And that's all there is there ain't no more I call it inside outside upside down <laughs> what flows through your mind is the least important of all the most important is what's noticing outside of you and noticing what's going on in your own skin and then noticing what's going through your mind and reporting it that's of value only because if you report it you're sharing your insanity with someone else and you might actually help correct each other now and
0: then. <laughs> right
1: so we we don't value the mind very much in radical honesty. In fact, there's one of our, i got a chapter titled, A Mind is a Terrible Thing. Waste it.
0: <laughs> I have an image of the frying egg right now. <laughs> yeah. Right. Go ahead and let that egg cook, man. <laughs> That's great. What advice would you give for someone to get out of their head and more into their being and their connectedness with? with somebody you know give up uh being right and be committed to being connected what would what advice would you give
1: well there are actually lots and lots of ways you know i we in the nine day workshop we teach people yoga we teach people something called dance yoga for the insane we teach people to pay attention to their bodies when they go into a yoga pose and allow stretching to occur and to distinguish between trying to make something happen and allowing something to occur. Allowing something to occur is you create the context of the pose, and then you hang out there. So I do a sort of an old man yoga. I hang out on the head-to-knee pose on the left-hand side for five minutes. Eventually, my forehead goes down to my knee, (laughs) because if I stay there long enough, I'll die and rot, and my head will fall down and touch my knee. I know it. (laughs) So... When I, I rock back and forth, and I let things stretch, and it feels good, and then I do this the right side, but it might take me like ten minutes or fifteen minutes to do the head to knee pose, left side, right side, and both sides. Long time because basically, if you do that, you only do like four yoga poses and you've used up forty five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but I like doing it that way. I like that slow poke old man yoga because what happens is the stretching does occur. You feel perfectly good about it. Lots of fringe additional stretching occur. You get to do a lot of twists and stretches, but you're not in any big hurry. You feel better and better. And then whenever you meditate after that, you go directly to a more relaxed place just simply because you have room to relax. So you create room to relax. You create room to relax. relax. You're then creating the possibility of discovery through attention. Oh, here I am. Here's the moment. I'm present. Here we are, being in the here and now. And that that is the starting point for anything you're going to do with your mind anyway. If you start out in your mind, you're already on a bad street. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Dangerous neighborhood.
1: <laughs> yeah. so you just want to start out in your body, in present to your being, in your experience, allowing yourself to experience your experience. And then see what your mind comes up with and play with it. Your mind is just a toy. It's a toy. It's not more important than a toy. It's as important as a toy. It's a toy, just something to play with. It's an entertaining thing to play with. But beyond that is reification of the mind to a place that doesn't do you much good. You start worshipping your own mind and that's a big mistake. So I say to people all the time, I don't even trust my own mind. Why in the hell should I trust yours?
0: (laughs) (laughs) What are some clues maybe, you know, that people could identify with or that that they could see when they're maybe being overly analytical or in their mind as opposed to being present and uh, more connected?
1: Well, uh, you get that by noticing your mind, by knowing the difference between when you are in your mind and when you are in your body. Are in the room But as you notice your attention Going to something other than an idea Then probably what you were attending to before that Was an idea Now ideas are okay It's okay to follow ideas It's just not a good idea to start with an idea And go to another idea, another idea, another idea Without going back to being grounded in your experience For about 300 years, there was this argument between existentialist theologians and philosophers from Kierkegaard all the way forward to Jean-Paul Sartre. And basically they said, there are human beings and human doings that basically you're you're doing, you're one thing after another, you have a mental agenda, you're doing things. And then there are also this being, you can sit there and just notice, not do anything. And so the question was, are you a human being or are you a human doing? They argued for about 300 years, and finally Jean-Paul Sartre said, you cannot separate your being and your doing, but at the same time, they couldn't figure out how to get it together. So it was finally resolved by the greatest philosopher of the 20th century, His name was Frank Sinatra, because he said, do-be-do-be-doo, and that's what you do. You do-be-do-be-do, and you alternate doing and being. And the more you go doo-ba-doo-ba-doo, doo 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 through life, the happier you'll be because you'll be regrounded in your experience instead of going off in your poor, untrustworthy mind to some conclusion that God knows where it came from, but you think you thought it up. <laughs> and, and whenever you're going back to your experience and getting renewal from being corrected by attending to what is so rather than what you imagine ought to be, then you can escape the jail of your own mind frequently enough where you can play with it rather than be victimized by it.
0: What's the primary cause then, you think, of of stress, depression, and anger for people?
1: It's expectations that you're attached to. You have expectations that you're attached to about how you are, how things should be, how things are, your judgments, comparisons, assessments. You've had previous experiences you liked, you only want those kinds. You don't want to have any other kind of experiences you didn't like. You want to make sure that other people do what you want them to do. You're always concerned about how to do, do things right, do them well, do them perfectly. And, and so I'm always correcting minds. I, I have a mantra I give a lot of people who tend to be perfectionists. And the mantra is, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. And I like that mantra because it's such a flies in the face of perfectionism. Mm. And uh, mostly what you need to do to be a creative individual to produce lots of creative things in the world is to be willing to make mistakes and to actually go out there and venture for things, do a lot of stupid things, fail a lot. I've got a nine and a half year old son in Sweden and I see him four or five times a year for two or three weeks at a time. And he he and I are in this conversation now. He's at nine and a half where he thinks he shouldn't fail. And I keep saying, Have you failed anything? He says, No, well get after I'd say, You're supposed to already <laughs> fail by now. <laughs> <laughs> what? He says, You have to fail, you won't learn anything. Oh, what do you mean? So <laughs>
0: That's not what my teacher said.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like enjoying failures i think spectacular failures are a lot of fun you know and and uh, basically living up to expectations the source of anger is being attached to an expectation and having an insistent demand that your expectation be met and when other people don't live up to your expectations you get mad at them because you expected them to do more what you wanted And what I teach people is the gestalt way of getting over things, which is you get mad and get over it. You know, my new online course is called How to Get Over Shit and Be Happy. (laughs) 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 And basically, that's the key to your happiness is your ability to get over your attachments to things about how things should or shouldn't be. You know, things are as they are and your expectations are as they are. And so now and then you're going to be disappointed. It's fine. Learn to deal with disappointment. Jesus. You can be disappointed 30 or 40 times a day just for practice. That's really good. That You won't ever get too severely depressed. Say, oh, yeah, another
0: disappointment.
1: <laughs> 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 oh, I know those.
0: Right. Yeah. What would you say for somebody to, uh, yeah, because you talked about perfectionism as a form of, like, hidden anger. And um, say a little bit more about that. And you know, we kind of maybe stuff stuff down and um, have it be released as different forms whether it's toward ourselves or toward others because we're we're afraid of you know maybe showing somebody how we how we actually feel or getting that out there.
1: We don't want to be as petty as we actually are. We're all really petty. We're all basically picky 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 picky, picky about how the world's supposed to be and how the people're supposed to be, how we're supposed to be and how life is supposed to be. And so we have all these little picky 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 picky, picky things always judging, comparing, evaluating, making assessments, comparing those assessments, and saying to, trying to get other people to agree with our judgment about what the proper assessments are, and all those things, we're wasting a lot of time trying to make the world fit the proper model that we have in our mind for the world to fit, and remind, make ourselves fit into the model of the world as the way we're supposed to fit. All that's basically, unless it's just fun and games, is a waste of time. So uh, it's like you get up in the morning and meet someone and say, hello, oh, how can I disappoint you today? <laughs> uh, Tell me something disappointing. <laughs>
0: what advice would you give someone to come from that space, you know, to give themselves permission to play, if you will, and to let go, to relinquish or surrender this? incessant habit that we all tend to have about wanting to control everything how what advice would you give for someone to just give that up let it go
1: well we ask people to practice what we call completion work particularly with their families like with parents and brothers and sisters and ex-lovers and and uh, current mates that you practice telling the truth about what you want them to do and your resentment when they don't do it and your hurt feelings you 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 go and complete what's incomplete if you're keeping anything back you make sure you share it that's why it's called radical honesty because you say well i don't know if it's fair or not but i think it's bad that you didn't fix my breakfast this morning before i came downstairs and she might say well go to hell i don't care if you want it or not you say well i resent you for saying go to hell well i resent you for saying fix your goddamn breakfast so you can have a really nice beginning chat that morning.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Just kick the day off right, right away. That's a good yeah, way to it's kick It's
1: probably permissible for both of the people to be picky, petty, foul-mouthed, and bad. Then they are, and they both sort of laugh at it and cook breakfast together and go over to work. The idea is to get over shit quickly by not hiding it or playing like it isn't true. That's, a, that's no way to get over something. The things you avoid persist forever. So, you get just this ingrained idea that what you resist persists and what you're willing to experience comes and goes. And so, you say, Okay, I'm petty and judgmental, and I think you should do such and such, and you didn't do it right, and the coffee's cold, and, and I resent you for cold coffee. Well, I resent if you resent me for cold coffee. Get your own goddamn coffee. And you have this beginning, like, nah, 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 nah. and then after that, you kiss and go to work. <laughs> it's something about Permission to be out loud As As petty as we all really are We all have petty judgmental minds They're not of much use But they're there So you have to share them Because you won't get any correction at all And you'll end up spending most of your day Doing what your mind tells you to do Which will be a big mistake Because your mind really can't find its ass with both hands <laughs> <laughs> So, (laughs) I I don't recommend depending on your mind.
0: (laughs) Not a good GPS system, huh? (laughs) Really faulty, yeah. (laughs) How can we uh, control or or basically take responsibility for, you know, how we're showing up, who we're being? What what advice would you give somebody?
1: Well, don't work at it too hard. I would say, just say, well, well, how am I showing up for you? Ask people. They'll tell you. Most of the time, they'll tell you. It's like uh, we all have a sort of a faulty GPS system. I like that analogy. I was, I've often thought, you know, you ought to have a GPS with a guy with a New York accent saying, Hey, you dumbass, you missed a turn. <laughs> <laughs> turn go back here and do it right. It would be really funny to have a GPS like that. <laughs> I'd probably
0: make less wrong turns than if I had this sweet Australian sounding lady. I was like, oh, okay, yeah. I, I want to screw up because I just want to hear her voice. It sounds yeah. so cool. <laughs>
1: I know, I, I fell in love with my first female GPS voice, <laughs> she would say, recalculating. That's all she'd say. She wouldn't get mad about anything. <laughs> but we've got these faulty GPS systems, that <laughs> yelling and sort of like bad, you know, making mistakes and then doubly blaming you for it. So uh, the thing is that the GPS system is to be questioned, because we already have way too much valuing of mind stuff. In a culture, you know, the whole Judeo-Christian Rebrahmic traditions are all moralistic, self-righteous, bunch of damn intellectual bullshit. And so basically you have to say, I'm sorry, I'm coming from like basically the sewer of humanity (laughs) with regard to moralism. (laughs) So I got this untrustworthy bunch of cultural crap that's been brainwashing. I've been brainwashed with it since I was a little kid, and I see it all the time on TV and everything. Everybody is full of shit, including me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Starting, there. <laughs>
1: Starting there. Then I have a chance to get through the day without killing yourself accidentally.
0: <laughs> so what's the impact then when somebody with withholds you know a communication or they maybe they're lying about it, or they stuff something down and don't have these, you know, conversations, uh, what's the impact on themselves and on others?
1: Well, withholding is the most pernicious form of lying. Whenever you just don't mention something, it crosses your mind, and you don't say it out loud, or you have judgments and you don't share those judgments, or you have feelings that you have that you don't share, that basically you're doing that to protect yourself from being exposed. Usually. You might tell yourself you're doing it to protect the other person's feelings, but that's usually not the primary motivation, and it doesn't make a difference anyway. The person doesn't need your protection racket. Your rationale for withholding for the sake of politeness or or social appropriateness or all that stuff is just basically a waste of life. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. And basically, just go ahead and be out loud. and Be the asshole we truly know you are. And then people will love you for it. <laughs> 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 works better. It just works better.
0: What advice would you give for someone just to give it up and forgive and then like, get past it?
1: Well, you have to go through it in order to get over it. You can't just give it up because you think you should. Mm. If you think you, you don't get over being mad by saying I shouldn't be mad and I should be forgiving because that's totally worthless. It's irrelevant what your mind thinks you should do first thing you have to do is you start out, you know, it's kind of like you, it's like the way to start a negotiation is saying, no, you can't have what you want and you can go to hell. I'm not ever going to give it to you. That's the beginning of a negotiation. <laughs> it's not, how can I compromise to please you? No, I'm not compromising the damn thing. You better compromise everything. Then That's the beginning of a negotiation.
0: I gotta bring you on some of my real estate negotiations. <laughs>
1: Love that. It's easy to negotiate. You start out that way, but the idea is that that what really comes down to what people are protecting us is being honest about small things. You know, I I resent you for showing up at seven thirty when we had an appointment to meet at seven o'clock. And uh, I know that may not be the most important thing in the world. And you got a whole long story about traffic and stuff like that. I don't give a damn about your story. I resent you for not being here at seven. I've been sitting here with my thumb on my ass for half an hour. And they say, well, I resent you for saying you resent me or not. that's fine. Good. We'll go on. We'll start out with a fight. That's a good idea.
0: What I'm hearing is just being present to what's there and then saying what that is and what's so and having an intimate relationship with us. so rather than rather than stuffing it down, pushing it away, pretend it doesn't exist, whatever. Is, is yeah,
1: that... it's, it's, it's important, to get that you forgive with your body, and your mind catches up later. So with your anger, you feel an intense feeling here in your chest and some tightness in the shoulder and a rapid heartbeat, and you say, I resent you for not being here at 7 o'clock, so your voice is louder, you're in touch with them, you're in touch with your experience in your body, and you're in touch with the idea that they said they'd be here at 7, and they weren't. So you're simultaneously in touch with all aspects of the awareness continuum. You're in touch with them. You experience the experience. Your rapid heartbeat goes up a little bit more. You get more tense. You get a more frowny face. Then it recedes a little. Then it falls down a little. Then they say something, and then it increases and decreases. But you experience the experience, and after a little bit, maybe like 90 seconds, you say, okay, I'm over it. And the way you mean you're over it is because you're not, your body's not all tensed up anymore. Your heartbeat's not rapid like it was. And you think, okay, I'm cool with it now. And you are. It's your body you do it with. And your mind says, oh, well, now I reach the conclusion that I've forgiven you. But the conclusion of the mind always comes in last. The mind is always like behind. And so your body is what you forgive with. And you forgive by feeling your way through things, not thinking your way around them. And so you be the asshole that you are until you get over it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So when you experience something in your body, say more about that. So when I experience something in my body, like, uh, oh, you're you're right, 30 minutes late. I'm feeling this tightness in my chest, constriction in my throat. Like, start there, right? Is that what you're saying? Like, I I tap into what that feeling is and I, I relay it?
1: You start by saying, I resent you for not being here at 7 o'clock. I've been sitting here for half a goddamn hour. I resent you for showing up here at 7.30. That's what you start with like that. I resent you and what you did that I resent you for doing. And then they say, well, I was traveling. I resent reserves of traffic. I was traffic every morning. <laughs> and so you have the experience. You look at each other, and they might say, okay, well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get here at 730. Well, all right. It did not make a whether you're sorry or not, And All right, fine. I got it. And then things change, with change in your experience. And then you say, okay, I'm over it. Are you over it? Yeah, okay, so now what do we mean about it? And you start talking, and then you're... But if you don't say it, and you sit there and you're pissed off, some of it's you come here a half hour later, I can't say anything about it. So we're like, everything they say, you won't hear. And most of what you say will be mildly distorted because they have a little bit of anger on the side of it. And whatever agreement you work out probably won't stand very well because you won't keep it because you're like lying when you made the agreement about being pissed off. And so the idea is that to have agreements that work because when you made the agreement, you were actually present to each other and knew what you were agreeing to, and both of you were willing to do it. So that you get back to the willingness by being willing to experience your experience, whatever it is. So when I say you report what you notice, you notice the awareness can You report what you notice in your body. That's fine. You report what you notice outside of you. Report what you notice going through your mind. And that's all radical honesty is—is reporting what you notice. So it's very simple. It's just hard to do because it's counter to the training we have all been taught. We've been taught systematically to lie since we were little babies.
0: Share more about that. And how does someone get over that inertia? Uh, this inertia to lie, you know, as the willow white lies, the withholdings, the socially acceptable, whatever that is. How does someone? That's there's a lot of inertia there, right? It doesn't actually pull for us to, to be straight. Uh, how do we interrupt that?
1: You practice, practice, practice. Same way you get to Carnegie Hall. <laughs> <laughs> practice, practice, practice. You practice revealing. The smaller, the better, you know. I've been sitting here wondering where in the hell you are for the last 15 minutes getting pissed off. Now, I'm imagining you 15 minutes late and you're 20 minutes late. I resent you for showing up 20 minutes late. And they say, well, I don't blame you. say, well, I don't care if you blame me or not. I'm getting over it. You keep interacting and you keep feeling your way through things. But using the rule of thumb that telling the truth and feeling your way through things will eventually work better for both of you than trying to calculate how to resent and manipulate things so that you can get your way and make the other person do what you want. The more intimate way of sharing works better than the less intimate way of manipulating.
0: What is not being straight? What what does that cost us? You know, like um, you talked a little bit about being right. What does that cost us by our attachment to being right and positional and, you know, having these judgments, assessments, opinions uh, being very positional about that and making someone wrong. What, what's the cost? What's the other side of that?
1: Well, it's just that you're removed from life. You're trapped in the jail of your own mind. You can't escape the constant badgering of one thought after another after another stacked on a whole bunch of denied feeling. So you have all these thoughts not connected to feelings. They are connected, like in twisted ways. But basically, you're in the mill of your mind. You're in that part, you know. The one of my meditation teachers used to call the mind Radio San Juan. You sit down and meditate here. Radio San Juan. People are speaking in Spanish as fast as they possibly can, <laughs> <laughs> and no, no, no one can understand it except another Puerto Rican who lives in this section of San Juan. Otherwise, nobody can understand it. <laughs> and that's the way the mind is. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Radio San Juan is going on up there all the time. And so, the best way to interrupt Radio San Juan is to report it. Well, I'm hearing all this chatter going on in my mind, saying all this blah, 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 blah and you say what it is. And they say, Jesus, poor guy. And yeah, it's terrible, isn't it? How about you? Yeah, me too. And this is what's going on in my mind. But <laughs> you have some sympathy for each other about having been in that jail of the mind. And uh, there's a lot better places to play. You can play out here in the world using your mind instead of trying to play in your mind and control everybody else's mind. That's just a terrible waste of life.
0: How how do we get out of that then, jail? Just by this awareness, is that, the, is that the key? Is that the jailer's key out of this imprisonment in the mind to, so we can actually be present and be in our bodies?
1: Awareness and sharing. You have to go ahead and put it out there. You have to say, you know. How are you? I'm a nutcase this morning. How are you? <laughs>
0: <laughs> how can people employ and use their mind in service of their being? You know, I think we were speaking to that just kind of dovetails into that conversation is that what would you advise people to be more in touch with their, their being? How to use the mind in service of the being rather than the other way around?
1: Well, you get in touch with the being by noticing. Noticing is more important than thinking. So you just get this in your mind. Noticing is more important than thinking. All right. And if you're going to notice and think, notice and think. Notice first, think second. If you think first, it'll already screw up the next noticing. (laughs) So, noticing is like the simplest, dumb, possible definition of noticing Think It's just shut up, breathe, pay attention. It's like mindfulness meditation, only not that complicated. It's just like... It's noticing every wiggle, giggle, fart, everything else that goes on in your life. Like, basically... Noticing what's going on outside of you, noticing the traffic, noticing what's going on inside your own skin, noticing what's going through your mind. Just notice first. So when you sit quietly and meditate, you, after not too many practices of meditation, I've been meditating for lots and lots of years, but basically... By the time I sit down and take three breaths and say, one relax, two relax, three relax, I'm already in a different place than I was before I did those three breaths, which took me probably less than a minute. I'm in a different place because I've been practicing going to that place for many, many years by just saying, one relax, two relax, three relax. And then when I do further meditation, like mindfulness meditation or something like that, what I'm doing is I'm getting dumber. I'm not getting smarter. So I tell people all the time, I don't teach you to get smarter. I teach you to get dumber. So we finally, we actually discovered a chant after about 15 years of running the nine-day workshop four or five times a year. We discovered a chant that leads to enlightenment without fail in two and a half minutes, no matter who does it, whenever they do it. And I guess I'll share it with you and all your people, even though I usually charge a lot of money for this. (laughs) <laughs> so the chant that will get you to enlightenment within two and a half minutes is this. Duh. Duh. And if you slobber, you can get there in a minute and a half. <laughs> and finally you get so... Uh, uh, well you get so damn dumb, you just like... Somebody's already <laughs> you greet them that way, and they greet you that way. Then you're connected. Then you're you're there. You are. You're there. You're connected. You have their attention. They have your attention. That's the way to start. And you get just dumber than a stick, dumber than a box of hammers. You're just as stupid as you can possibly get. It's just dumb. Then you can actually have a conversation with someone. It will be brilliant, brilliant, co-hearted, co-intelligent conversation comes out of both people getting really dumb first.
0: Chell, you're in your Homer Simpson. I'm huh? dull.
1: Oh.
0: Oh. Oh. oh, donuts right now sound really good. Oh. No wonder I love that show so much. Uh, i got to get to a higher state. I feel enlightened when I watch The Simpsons now. I love you a whole other thing. <laughs> Homie. <laughs> He's the new, the new prophet. <laughs> oh, that's great. What uh what tech tools would you recommend? Like uh, you mentioned meditation, like what kind of meditation do you do? uh Are there some some tools that you could recommend for people like on the court to to help them practice?
1: Well, almost. I I like lots of different kinds of meditation, but basically, like uh, uh, it doesn't it wouldn't doesn't hurt anybody to do like a ten day vipassana meditation or something that intensive, just because. After that, what I do, I teach a short form of meditation for people to practice on a daily basis for a couple of times and partly stolen from various traditions. I'm mostly trained by Sufis, so I teach various things that are kind of weird and funny. But uh, anything that you do that has to do with just pausing in the middle of your life and paying attention, doing yoga, stretching, doing dance yoga for the insane, meditating, inventing your own meditation, just so just sit there and slobber, that'll be a great meditation. <laughs> and uh uh basically uh physical exercise, you know, even if it's just riding an exercise, cycle, but you pay attention to what you're doing when you're doing it. Like whatever you do, if you're walking the dog and you're actually consciously walking the dog, that's a meditation. So like everything basically is a meditation. If you look at it a certain way, everything's a meditation. And so you just say, I'll do this. I'm doing the talking to a guy on a TV screen meditation now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and as you share your meditation with other people, we say in radical honesty, there are two primary forms of meditation. One is the one you do alone, where you call yourself to presence, and you just breathe, and you pay attention to your own breathing, you do all that kind of stuff. And then there's a second important form of meditation, which is a shared meditation, which you do with other people, which we call radical honesty, which means you share with them what you notice. And the two of you sharing what you notice then magnifies what your capacity to do something with what you notice is. So that you come up with some co-hearted, co-intelligence that's superior to anything you could have come up with alone.
0: What what advice would you give somebody who's, maybe there's a conversation they're resisting, it's a difficult conversation, they're folding something, what advice would you give them to be straight about what's there and have that conversation that they've been avoiding?
1: Well, it would help. Go ahead and read Radical Honesty because it has some guidelines about how to interrupt your mind and how to say to someone, look, I want to have an honest conversation with you. I've been reading this book some weird guy wrote, and I want to try it. Are you willing to try it? And they say yes. Then you make an agreement with them that you'll be honest and try it for a week and see what you think of it and see what you learn from it. And then you can go back to doing what you're doing before. Problem is we can't get people to go back. (laughs) Because once you start sharing, it's a whole lot more fun than when you're just isolated and scared about manipulating the world and protecting yourself from it.
0: What's available for somebody on the other side of when, when they, you know, we talked a little bit about the cost. What's, what's available? What, what's the benefit that they just start being straight with people and have these conversations?
1: Well, you have these, uh, these pleasant relationships with other people. You find yourself surprisingly connected with people. You find yourself a little scared about how, good you feel we're all scared of joy and you get really happy about someone reciprocating you tell them something about you you're a little bit scared to tell them and they tell them and they say oh yeah me too and they tell you something about them and you so appreciate them for revealing to you something as intimate as what you revealed to them and you get that they appreciated you for that too and you find that but that you Feel more warmly toward them and they more warmly toward you. Even if you all started out with a fight, still you feel more warmly because you got through it, got into it, and got over it. So you're closer. And so if you you get to where you can tolerate joy, and you get to where you can tolerate joy, then your whole life is better.
0: Yeah, I would say our, our joy threshold, for the most part, isn't very high. You know, would you would you say that that's uh you know accurate does society kind of suppress that out of us
1: i think people are afraid of intense emotion they're afraid of anger they're afraid of grief they're afraid of love they're afraid of too much joy but i'd say of all of them they're probably more afraid of joyfulness than anything else and so you have to practice enjoying yourself (laughs) and uh and you practice with other people and you can get good at it.
0: What are some practices someone could do to experience, you talked about movement and things like that, to get, you know, maybe outside, get moving their body, or, or what What are some things you would recommend for them to experience more joy on a daily basis?
1: Well, just whatever connection. Like if you get a dog or a pet or something like that, that helps you, I think, because you the dog just connects with you like a dog, and you need, we all need dog training. <laughs> and, uh... Mm-hmm. There are lots of things you, you What you do is you start conversations with people about what you're learning about being honest and then you learn together You find yourself being educated by whoever you connect with Because of the quality of your connection with them.
0: Everybody's a teacher right especially especially children so if someone wants to find out more about your 90 course uh, share a little bit about that and then um where would they go? Yeah. to?
1: My, my website is RadicalHonesty.com, and uh, they're basically everything. You can find everything on the RadicalHonesty.com website. I have an online course that gets relaunched every now and then. Basically, I do a course in Greece every year in July. It's already full this year, but basically next year they can come. And I do an eight-day workshop, usually eight- or nine-day workshop once or twice a year somewhere. Denver the last time, Virginia the next time, I think. Anyway, it's all on the website. Yeah. You just go there, you read up and catch up on what's going on.
0: Awesome. Well, Brad, thank you so much for generously giving your time today. It was so great to talk to you. So many great insights and, and valuable tips for people to get off it and have more fun and just, you know, be, be straight and and live a life of radical honesty. So thank you again for, for generously being uh, here.
1: Thanks for asking me. Yeah. All right. Yeah. right. I'll talk to you later. Right. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye.
0: So until next time, go out there, choose to play today, make it a priority, shift it to a new gear, give yourself permission to play full out and make the whole world your
1: playground.